listening to the Jersey Guys Podcast, the show that talks about hard rock, heavy metal, AOR, and West Coast music. In-depth conversation and special guests are always on tap, so settle in and turn it up. Now, here are your hosts, Tom and Mark. Hey everybody, Mark Ballow from the Jersey Guys Podcast. I'm here with my co-host Tom Coyne, as always, and today we've got a brand new show for you. In this episode, we talk with Rick Hughes from the Canadian metal legend Sword. The band put out two iconic albums in the mid to late 1980s, and late last year they came out with their third album, simply entitled Three. So we talked to Rick about all three albums, the history of the band, and uh, we also touch on a little bit of uh, Rick's other project that he did in the early 1990s, which was a band named Saints and Sinners. Uh, That band has a real good cult following among fans, so... We touch on all those subjects. We talk about what's going to be coming in the future for S.W.O.R.D. Rick was a great guest, so check this show out. We hope you enjoy it. Hey, Rick, thanks for joining us on the podcast tonight. My pleasure. Great, great to talk to you, that's for sure. I wanted to start with uh, congratulating you on the brand new album, uh, Three. It came out at the end of uh, last year, uh, November, and uh, how's things been going with that? Uh, Beautifully. I mean, it's, uh, for me... It's the kind of album I wanted to do right now in my life. I wanted something that would that would shock, you know, that would that would uh, that would be arena rock, you know. I wanted something that sounded powerful, and um, and the rest of the guys too, you know, because we work as a team. So uh, I'm so very happy with with the way that the album turns out. Every song on it, I'm happy. Great. Well, I mean, it, it took, uh, it was a long time in, in the making, wasn't it? What took so long? Yeah, that's hard. You know, you, you can't control that, you know. Plus, um, we're, we're, from, we're from the generation of musicians of the 80s, you know, where, where we, we were very influenced by the artists of the 70s, who are great, 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 great artists. And we tried to follow in their footsteps. But it was hard because of all the changes with the technology and and the losers of record sales and the and then you know all those things that 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 came into play makes it hard for an artist to to have a schedule and and to invest his own money when you think about it because the record companies they're not some some are still doing it you know praise the Lord but uh, there's a lot of record companies that not that are not ready to invest in anything right now. Yeah, no, it's it's do it yourself, and then we'll put it out at the end with the end product, right? Exactly. So, so what does that mean? That means is that you you really have to mean it, you know. If you put your money into it, you really have to to write a song and and want to see the end of it, you know. And then if if, if it's one song, then it becomes an album. Then it's thirty to forty minutes. Then it, it it has to be really, really, really good. Or take your time. That's what we did. We took our time. Yeah. Well, I know Tom is Tom's a huge fan from from way back when. We were just talking before we came on about the uh, the first two albums. So I know he's got a lot to to talk to you about that. That explains the, that explains the t shirt. <laughs> and I got the shirt for the second tour too. I just wore the first one. That's beautiful. 
metalized, uh, an iconic album to me at the time when it came out. And I was telling Mark before we went on the air, I stumbled across you guys from a friend of mine who had a giant satellite dish and we used to pick up much music. And I saw the first video off of this album back in, I guess it was 86 ish and became an instant fan. And, um, I know you guys were together before that album got, got signed. Could you tell us how it came about that you finally got signed and the, the record deal and the writing process for this iconic record? For Metalize, we, uh, we were <laughs> real rockers. You know, we were doing the, um, the club gigs from 1982 to 1984. Throughout 1995, we were doing like five, six gigs a night, a week, four. That's my dog talking to me. <laughs> Rosie, come on. So, so we were doing. So, so we got pretty good at at, at doing the, the the hard rock stuff. You know, we're doing like the Priest, the Maiden, the Zeppelin, the Deep Purple, and and we did that for a couple of years. So, it came time to write songs. Those were our influence. So, once we started writing the songs, we had a big following. And the record companies would follow the followers. At that time, <laughs> they would hear about a club that was always full when Sword was playing there. You were sure that one day a, an A&R guy would, would drop by and, and sign you. And that's exactly what happened to us. We didn't even have to shop for a deal. We just wrote a couple of songs and it fell in somebody's ears and, and, and we got signed. So anyways, that's what happened with Sword. It, it it all it all came naturally, the record deal, the writings, the the songs. Uh, you know, I, look, what's one of the most rec recognizable song on Metalize? FTW. You know, follow the wheels. Yeah, and and this is I I I came up with the idea from a guy who had a patch, a motorcycle patch, and it meant F U C K the world. You know, that's what that. And their language, their lingo, that's what it means. So look, I got my early, right? And <laughs> it's, it's parked beside the piano. There you go. <laughs> but so, so I meant, you know what I said before, when you write song, you have to mean exactly what, you, what you're saying. It, if, you, if you take on a subject, you, you really have to, it has to rattle some, some, some bones here and there, you know? Yeah. What was the, vo like, that album, and to me, you guys had a very signature sound and have maintained that signature sound even with the current album. How did that sound get honed? Like, what was, like, what would you look back and say, this, our sound is from this, that, and the other thing? Back then, it, it was from all the playing. We would play all the time, all the time. When we were not gigging for sometimes peanuts, you know, because that, Back in the eighties, the bars they would they would pay you, but you know it would cover the salmon and the light man. Right. Yeah, and and but all the playing because when we were not playing, we were we were rehearsing. Figure that out. That's 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 where the the sound comes from. You know, it's from the passion that everybody brings in. Everybody's passion and everybody's instrument. Very important. And your vocal style and vocal phrasings, who would you cite as some guys that were big influences for your style, which is a very identifiable voice that doesn't sound like too many others? Um, 
My biggest influence is Robert Plant. I'm a very big Zeppelin fan. Uh, in my spare time, I, I own a, a, a tribute band, a Zeppelin tribute band. I, but I but I don't sound anything like him. I know that I, I don't. But when I do the, the tribute thing there, huh, kind of come close. But um, for, for the sword sound, no, not at all. There's, there's no rubber plant. There's no Robert Plant in sword. No, I would no, agree. No. I, I would agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> there's a little bit of Gillen. A little bit of a little bit of Ian Gillen on some of the songs, like Stoned Again, I could hear a little I bit. I love of, Gillen. Yeah. I love Gillen. He, he's he's aged gracefully. What a beautiful man. Oh yeah. They just came through Jersey a week or two ago. Amazing. I think in recent years, people have forgotten how good he was. There's been so much uh, emphasis on David Coverdale and Glenn Hughes, who were both great. But the Ian Gillen period of, of Purple still may have been the greatest hard rock band of all time. Yeah, and you know, when mentioning those names, it's just, it's, it adds more to his, uh, to his horror, you know, because... If there was, if these were big shoes to fill, Ian Gillen. So really big, yeah. Yeah, so so there you go. You know, Coverdale, Glenn Hughes, yeah, exactly. So or or just or just pull the plug, you know. Right. Yeah. I was a big fan of the Ian Gillen band, Glory Road. I don't know if you remember that album. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I remember. That's a great album. Of course. I, to me, one of the best Black Sabbath album is with uh, is the is Born Again album. Oh, you like you yeah. really? Yeah, I, I I never warmed up to that album. Ah <laughs> oh, man, this album is like danger. You put it on, and, and, and the window windows are gonna open by yeah. themselves, and <laughs> yeah. demons are kind of coming to the house. Yeah, <laughs> I was, love it. I it, love it, man. Was, it was really heavy that album. Yeah, yeah. So that moves us to the second album, which is my personal favorite and one of my favorite albums of the entire uh, mid to late 80s. What, where did the band go from there? Because to me, as much as I like the debut, the second album was even a bigger jump up in terms of songs, production, your vocals, which took on a, a more sinister, meaner sound, which I liked. Could you tell us how that all came about from the first album to the, to the second album? Well, first, I'd like to say that I'm really happy with what you just said because um, it it differs from 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 one listener to the other. Some people will say Ah, Metalize was way much better than Sweet Dream, and some like you will like Sweet Dream even more than. Me. So to this, I say thanks, and and my response is very simple: is that I told you my influence. You know, it's Robert Plant. If you listen to I'm not comparing myself to Robert Plant or Led Zeppelin, but these are my heroes, you know, the Beatles, Zeppelin. Uh, if you listen to the first album and you listen to the second album and the third album, there's like big difference between Led Zeppelin 3 and Led Zeppelin 1, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Who wants to redo the same album over and over again? Not me. I don't. I don't. I don't care. Not that I don't care. It doesn't affect me if I hear that somebody stays is is leans toward the first one more than the second one. Not a problem with that, you know. But if somebody goes as far to say, ah, it's crap compared to the first one, that's when I say to myself, well, 
You're not listening. You need to, yeah. You're not you listening. need to find yeah, or you need to find yourself a real job because <laughs> you're probably doing a shitty job at what you're doing to compare right. work somebody's work to 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 maneuver. <laughs> as a fan, I found the first album as much as I loved it didn't the personality of the band really hadn't developed yet until the second album. When that second album hit, I remember the first time listening to it, I was blown away. It had a had a bigger I thought it had a bigger fatter production. Your vocals I thought were were even, you know, better than the first album. I just saw like the difference of those two years. And um I I put I put it on the same level as at that time where like a band like Sabotage was at. Like it was heavy it was nasty it was mean it was meaner than the first album which i liked it had a real gruff edge to it you know yet had very good songs like as soon as you heard the songs they clicked but it had that real gritty edge to it which i i liked yeah well it, it was the, the it was the continuity you know it, it i like i said you know everybody's got their heroes mine tend to not redo the same album over and over again. And that, to me, being an artist is, is a little bit a part of that, you know, trying to, I don't know. Anyway, as you grow older, your taste change, your way you sing change, the way you play guitar mm -hmm. change, the way you listen to music changes. Yeah. So you stay a rocker, but the, your rock sound is allowed to evolve or to to even just kind of change, you know? Sure. Well, I mean, Tom and I have talked about that. We've had some guests on and, and you know, some of them are older ones. We've had guys from the 70s and stuff like that where we have has had guests. And, and they you know, you, you, we talk about this, you know, guys, when they're in their whatever, 20s, whatever, as they get older, they they change. You know, everybody changes. Everybody has different influences they draw from. So, yeah, I mean, that totally makes sense what you're saying for sure. The most important thing is that whatever age you are at, whatever genre of, of rock you're doing, if it, 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 it's that you do it from the heart and, and, you, and you hope for the best. Yeah. That's all there is to it. Because if you do it from the head and, and you miss your, your mark, then you, then you knock yourself on the head, you know? Yeah. But if it comes from the heart, you go, well, okay, maybe they'll get it in a couple of months or maybe they'll get it when I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> but one day they'll get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the song Land of the Brave, which is my personal favorite on that album. Could you tell me a little bit about the writing process of how you came up with that song? That's um, my wife's favorite too. <laughs> it, it really is. Well, it was at the time where uh, it was really uh, back in in '89 that when I wrote the lyrics for that, it was um, I think the first Afghan war in in America with, with you guys wasn't that? That was ninety, yeah, ninety, eighty-nine, ninety, I guess, yeah, eighty-nine, ninety. Yeah. So, so, so it was it was around the corner, and 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 I could feel it, and and. I thought to myself, let's write a song about about war because it, it's. I'm sure that it's gonna age well because there's always gonna be war. So mm -hmm. if I listen to it in 30, 20 years, the subject won't be uh, outdated, you know. Yeah. And and hey, I was right. Yeah. 
And one of your best vocal performances, I think, out of all three albums was that song also. Well, let me tell you, let me tell you one thing about that. During a live concert, when I nailed that one, everybody's happy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, it's 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 a demanding song to sing. I could I could imagine it, especially all these years later. <laughs> And I'm fine. I wanted to ask you, Rick, um, when we, Tom and I were talking about this prior to uh, starting the the uh, podcast tonight, you played a show in 1988, February, uh, in New York City. I saw it on your, your website. You have the tour dates from the years past. And do you remember where you played in 1988, New York? Uh, no, I don't remember. But I remember we went to Steve's music store and we, we, we went to the statue and we got... <laughs> We got scammed with the watches and everything, you know. We had the 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 the, the big tour. The guy from the guy in the tour bus tell who say, "Hey, today we're gonna go visit the statue." Yeah. Hey guys, what? Don't buy anything. <laughs> Why? Don't buy anything, and you'll be fine. So we all bought a watch uh -huh. before taking the ferry. And 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 we would visit the statue, and while we were coming back on the ferry, none of our watch was working anymore. <laughs> so you must have played. You played in Manhattan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was in Manhattan. Yeah, I remember. It was an old church. Could oh, it be the limelight? Oh, the limelight. Yeah, the yeah, limelight. We did. Okay, okay there yeah. you go. I played twice. I played with Sword and Saints and Sinners back in '92. Oh wow! At the same same place, the limelight. Yes. Wow. Yes. Okay. Did not know that. Yeah, we were trying to speculate where where it was at. We're like, could it have been Lemoore? Could it, you know, was it the Ritz, the Limelight, or you know, Cat Club, something like that? Interesting. So, if you could tell us a little bit on the second album, you you did open for some major acts, correct? Yes, we did. We did, we, we toured with uh, with we we were back home, riding in a, in one automobile for the for the band. You know, we're, we're like. The new album, you heard the song Unleashing Hell. Mm -hmm. So think about the lyrics of that new song, and I'm talking about way back. Okay, gotcha. So we were riding in the in the in the sword mobile, we used to call it. And we were listening to Master of Puppets. And we ate A to B, man. You know, at that time it was cassette V, go. And and we were saying to ourselves, this is so great. I mean. Man, what an album. And for a couple of months, we were just writing and going to rehearsals to the show and listening to that. And our phone rang and it was our manager that was telling us, guys, Metallica are touring right now and they love your album. They keep listening to it on the tour bus. They want you on the tour when they come to Quebec. Wow. That's when life imitate hearts or something like that. You know, yeah. we went, what? So we, 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 that's the first big tour we got was that way. It's our music that did it for us. They say your, your, your reputation is ahead of you. It's not behind you. Right. You know, that was, it was true there. So we, we, we got to meet, to meet the guys. It was a tough time for them because that's when they, 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 they had the, the tour bus accident in mm -hmm. Europe. Yeah. Where, um, where Cliff died. Yeah. So they postponed the tour twice with us. It happened exactly at that time. So there was like, like, like advertisement on TV, uh, 
Metallica with opening star, with opening band, Sword, and then boop, it, it would stop because we were announced that Cliff had died from a... But the, the first time they canceled, you remember James had broke his arm doing some uh, yes. skateboarding? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So twice they had to postpone the tour, and we were looking forward to meeting those guys. So then when we finally did, it, it connected. And after that, we were invited on Alice Cooper's tour. Alice Cooper was one of my childhood fantasy hero, man. This guy was so... Me too. You know, you know what I mean? He had this thing about himself where he was... Ah, some folks love to see... You know, he was telling it like it is. I want to be elected. Yeah. That's my favorite. Billion Dollar Babies is my favorite Alice Cooper album. Ah, school's <laughs> yeah. out. You yeah. know, my school forever. My brother and I. We'd do the record store thing, you know, what the lineup where we had wait to, to buy your vinyl. Mm -hmm. So, so, so fast forward, like uh, we're, when we're 14, 10 years later, we're 24 and, and we're opening for Alice Cooper and we're meeting him mm -hmm. and we're, we're hanging with this band. And that was, that was, that was not only was it a dream come true, it was like, it was, it was an achievement, you know? Yeah. Because when you rub shoulders with 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 legends, you you have you've achieved something, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah. You don't, you don't need to 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 overdo a show or to, people go, oh, sword was so good that no 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 no, just being there with a legend in itself, it's something. And and we toured with Lemmy with Motorhead, but we did the UK tour. Imagine that. That was amazing. We were on Lemmy's turf. Yeah. So he took us in his, his neighborhood when we had time off. We would hang with Lemmy. Wow. People dream of that, you know, because this guy is, is, uh, is more than, than a symbol. He's an icon. So that would have been, was that the rock and roll tour from Motorhead? Exactly. That was the, the rock and roll. Right there in my, where I'm sitting right now, this is the my, my musical room in my house. That's why I parked my chopper right beside the piano during the winter. Nice. But there I have a letter. It's Lemmy's signed by Lemmy when I was on tour with him. We had something about the lyrics. We were talking about lyrics and he wrote something to me. So when you enter, that's what you have. And on the other side is my personal Robert Plant autograph. Ah. Because, you know, you were talking about Swords video, the first video for FTW and Stoned Again. We did that when we were touring with, with Mortar Ed in England. And, and the UK, you know, uh, Scotland, uh, the Wales. And, and we were shooting videos. And while we were shooting videos, Robert Plant was shooting his video at the same place. Oh, wow. So I got to hang with him for like an afternoon for a couple of minutes, which to me seems like an hours, if, if, if not weeks. Yeah. I bet. <laughs> in, my, in my mind, we developed a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> But it only lasted like 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and that was for his first solo album? Yeah, yeah, he was doing a video for Tall Cool One. Yeah. Nice. I, I, I always, I, the first solo album is my favorite. I To me, as much as I liked his other solo albums, nothing was ever as good as the first one. I agree with you. And, and to respond to your question, it was the second solo album, Tall Cool One, if my okay. memory serves right. me right. Yeah. And you guys recorded a live album uh, from that tour, right? With... That with the Motorhead tour? Yeah, live at the Hammersmith. 
So you toured, you toured with that, that lineup with uh, Wurzel and, and Phil Campbell, the four-man the four man motorhead lineup. There you go. Yeah, that was, yeah, my, yeah. that was my favorite. Orgasmatron, Rock and Roll, those were my favorite motorhead albums of that lineup. Absolutely. Yeah. Orgasmatron is one of my favorite live songs from Motorhead. I know, me too. Me, that's what, that, I love that four-man lineup when he had the two guitar players. As much as the, the classic stuff would fill, you know, the original lineup with Filthy Animal. And and I like that. But to me, it was better when he had the two guitar players. It's just me personally. It was a bigger sound. And by the way, Filthy Animal was on drums. Right, because Filthy Animal came back on the rock and roll album. He wasn't on Orgasmatron. It was the the drummer from um, Saxon. Was, exactly. Was the drummer for that album, right he was there for rock and roll, and he was quite a gentleman. Was he? Re- yeah, I always loved. I loved his style of playing, and he was just such a such a character. That guy. All of the band, you know, those guys were real rockers. They were not playing rockers. So, when that happens, you get you get real hearted people. You know, those guys were they were tough. You know, they were playing tough. Yeah, and they're playing, and they and they came from a tough upbringing right you know? yeah absolutely but there were artists and 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 their own right you know and, and i'm guessing they they partied pretty tough too mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah 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 they partied pretty tough exactly yeah, yeah. well it, everybody partied at that time you yeah, know? that is it, true yeah yeah it was the 80s right? it's, it's just that some people would hide it better than others yeah with, with Motorhead, there was no hiding. You know, no, in- no. Lemmy wasn't exactly bashful about his uh, vices. <laughs> Somebody asked, was doing an interview with me uh, here in Quebec, and he asked me about Lemmy. I said, the best way to describe Lemmy is that I'm sure that when he went to sleep at night and when he woke up and dressed up, the clothes that he was wearing would have fit the stage. Yeah. He would change. That's yeah. He thing. would change. Right. Yeah. So, so you know the thing with the Jack Daniel bottle there on the table and everything that that was Lemmy. Yeah, you never <laughs> you never saw him like really out of you know character. You know he did a very good job, and I I always appreciate that with artists. You know, and, and you saw that a lot in the seventies. You never saw them really come out of the character of who they were. Like they kind of like guarded that. You know, it was like a. That's guard- precisely my point. Right, Tom. That that's precisely my point. That's a rocker. Right. It's a rocker in the morning. It's a rocker in the afternoon. It's a rocker at night. And that's why I grew up on that. I grew up in the seventies, and you know, when when you saw Bowie for the first time, and you saw Alice Cooper, I saw Zeppelin at the Garden in seventy seven. These guys were iconic because they looked the part, you know. And I always like that. And you don't see that in bands all the time now. You see guys on stage that they look like they could be in the crowd. They don't look like rock stars. And I like rock stars to look like rock stars. Agreed. And David Bowie is such a great example. I mean, what the the the, the work that this man has left before he died is is, is amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, I agree with you. And our, our rock stars gotta look that part. Exactly. Yep. Well, that's yeah, that was the era we grew up with in the 70s. That was the epitome of of rock stars, you know. And um I think it's one of the reasons these guys have lasted so many generations 
is the the figure not only the music but the uh, the, the figures of them what they J- Jimmy Page and his iconic you know style of playing and Tony Iommi and it's it's just it's not just the music it's the the figure of who they were Robert Plant at his stop one of his nickname was the Golden God mm-hmm. I mean I mean the Golden God there was and, and there was so much truth to it. This guy had it all. I mean, his lyrics for Stairway to Heaven or Ramble On, or I know that he picked some stuff here and there, but he had the mind, he had the look, he had the voice, he had the attitude, he had it all. Think about it. The golden God, man. Well, he was the guy that every guy wanted to be and every woman wanted to be with. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Of course. (laughs) Yeah. That's all cool one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, let's uh, let's I guess let's move on because and I, I guess we, we got to mention this and we got to talk about this because uh, can you talk a little bit about the Saints and Sinners band uh, came out in 1992, you know, after the two iconic uh, sword albums, you you started another band. How, how did that all get off the ground? Uh, it, it's it's been a couple of years, so my, my memory is pretty good about it. So, but but it differs from one member to another, and that's okay. I'm fine with that. Back in back in uh, in the uh, A days of Sword, when we released Metalize, it, it was a time when when it was well seen if you would release an album a year and tour, you know, yeah. every year with different band and with another album, and. Between Metal Eyes and Sweet Dreams, it took us like almost three years. So when it came time to do the other one, the, the, the next album, personally, I saw that it would it was gonna take some a lot of time, you know, more than, than two, three years that time. So so I said to myself, okay, so why not why not try something else while while Sword is on idols, you know? So that's what I did. I, I started a project with uh, uh, Aldo Nova, who's who's a who's a kind of a Jersey boy. Yes, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, the John Bon Jovi connection. Yeah, yeah. So I got Bon Jovi involved with the Saints and Sinners album. I guess you knew about that. Yeah. So we worked on it uh, with Aldo. We found uh, some crew, uh, a band, you know, that sounded hard rock and. Uh, and I wanted something completely different than Sword because I didn't want to compete with Sword. Yeah, I wanted to be in another in another genre, you know, a hard rock genre. So, so I did that for a couple of years, and it was fine. But uh, when it was time to pull the plug, it was time to pull the plug because grunge had taken the oxygen out of all the rooms. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean that that came out. That album came out in 1992, and that we were already a year or so into that that whole grunge thing starting up. How did a guy uh, like Jesse Bradman come into the mix with the Saints and Sinners album? True connections, because we were looking for uh, for uh, for for some touring in the states, and so we thought to ourselves, might as well put some Americans in the band, you know, ah. if you want to tour America. So that's how that's how it came about, and ah, uh, he, he was a great guy. This guy, I haven't spoke to him in a while, but I, I only have good memories of him. You know, his playing, his attitude, his voice. He's got a terrific voice, also. He he had beautiful. Yeah, he, he's very good. Yeah, yeah, and he was a he was a perfect gentleman. I know that that he's doing quite quite okay. You know, he's not 
fully into music, but he's he's doing well. So the the new album, um, what could we look for in, in the way of touring? Would there be anything outside of the uh, the Canadian area? Ah uh, man, there would this would be my my one of my biggest dream would be that the album would, would pick up big time and and that we we would do like a a big tour of the world and not necessarily every night every 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 town but, but just go around you know and, and and just play the music for the fan because it's a good mix we just finished a small tour here in Quebec and and the crowd was the fans were there man it, it was like we never stopped yeah i saw some of the uh, the clips on the, on your uh, facebook page packed crowds yeah yeah, yeah, and they knew the songs, they knew the new songs, and and to change that, to to have this this new pool of songs to blend it with the old material, and the old material sounds new, you know, because like I said, when as you grow older, your sounds changes, your guitar sound, your voice, your drums, everything changes. So so it's it's a it's a perfect blend. Now you're one of the few bands that are still around that have the the classic original lineup together. Was was that hard getting it together? Was everybody on board with that? Was how did how did it all come about that you got the whole band together? Because you don't see that that much anymore with the older bands. It's a lot of re, replacement players, and to see this band in, in its classic form for me as a fan was you know quite a, a shot in the arm. Well, there's a, there's different factor to explain it. First and foremost, the drummer is my brother, so the proximity right there. You have half of the band that that you're sure that you get, and then the two mics, Mike Plant and Mike Larocque, they're they're friends from school. We went to school together. We went to high school together. We started our first band together, and we toured the world together. So the connection. Is very very strong from the get go. We did something that mattered, you know. So, like, if I I speak for myself, after Sword, I did a lot of stuff, man, and and it was all interesting. It was all worth the while, you know. I did TV shows and and I I I I brought, you know, I I had I had kids to raise and 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 get through college and and all that thing, you know, and and but. If you ask me, 30, 40 years later, what's your claim to fame? I would have said sword. Mm-hmm. And I've been in in 50 different projects. Yeah. I would have said sword. So it was a matter of time before we all get together. So so the same applies, I guess, to Mike Larocque, the bass player, you know, because after sword, he did some stuff, but then he became a salesman for a company, which worked out really, really good for him. He kept very strong with his instrument. He kept playing, but it was more low profile. But if you would to ask him, what's your claim to fame? I guess his answer would have been the same as ours. Right. So the proximity, we all live near each other. We all, that's why we all went to school together. We live on the south shore of Montreal. We're like country boys. And um, yeah, the proximity helped a lot. And the fact that uh, when we stopped doing the gigs there for S.W.O.R.D., 
because like I said, when grunge came about, there was, there was no reason for any band to, to, to rekindle or do something. I mean, it was grunge for five years, you know? Yeah. So, um, I mean, the band's back in, in, you know, you got the, the cycle moving again. Uh, the album is out, came out late last year. You're touring, you're going to play some shows, uh, hopefully, you know, it, a little bit more than just the, the general Canadian area where you guys are at. But I mean, will you keep this moving forward now Is sword back full time or are you looking at another album down the line? We're, we're just looking at the shows right now where I, uh, I understand the question because it's, it took us a while to release that third album. So people are, are already thinking to, the, to themselves, are they going to release a fourth one? But we're, we're so not there right now. Okay. Right now, we're just hoping and, and, and hoping that the album is going to be picked up somewhere like, like it did before for Metal Eyes and for Sweet Dream. Somebody's going to pick it up and say, hey, well, we need these guys on tour with us and 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 bring out a, a package that's going to be interesting for us because, you know, like I said earlier, we're into music, we're into our music, we're into uh, playing live and stuff, but but at the age that we're at right now, we're not ready to start right at the bottom and, and work our way up. Right, like, of course. Like, yeah. Like we, like we did 30 years ago. So, so now we're just focusing on the shows that are in front of us to make sure that we're at the best that we can be. The songs are tight, that everything is perfectly in tune. And, and we'll see where that leads us. Great. Okay. So um, where can fans keep, uh, keep up? Is it it's swordmetalized.com is where everybody can keep up on the latest information? Yes. And uh, obviously uh, social media, uh, just Facebook it, Sword Metal Eyes, and there's, we have an official page. So uh, that just just get get hooked with our page and and the information when the tours are going to be announced, they'll, they'll be announced there. Great. Well, anything else, Tom? No, thank you very much for coming on, Rick. It was a pleasure finally getting to talk to you after all these years being a fan. Yeah. Well, thanks for the support because we really need it. The album's just been out, so the word's got to be spread and uh, the the fans have to to hear the songs because they're to me they're very very good songs. Yeah, great. Well, I mean, best of luck with the uh, with this new album, and uh, yeah, um, we hope to uh, you know we'll keep uh, have we'll put all our the social media links and everything when uh, when we post this, and we got to get the word out there. You guys are back. Yeah, get the word out there, and and when we come down to New York, because we will come down to New yeah, York. Yeah, that's what was going to be my final question. Would you at least see maybe the potential of playing a New York area show down here? Would be great. It would. It will. It will happen. I'm. I. I see it. I see it in the future. A tour of America by sword, like in 2024, probably. Excellent. Something's gonna happen, and 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 once we we're in New York. You guys are invited. Excellent. I want to meet. I want. I want to meet you in person. Well, you know, we, if you play, we'll be there. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> That's perfect. All right. Thanks, well, Rick. Hey, Rick. Appreciate the uh, the talk tonight. Best of luck with the new album. Same here, guys. I appreciate the time. Thank Thanks a lot. Okay. All right. Bye Take bye. care. Bye. Bye bye now. Bye. All right. Yeah! Yeah!